Well, good morning. Good morning. Let me ask you guys a question. How many of you have uh, not been to the gym for a little bit and then decide to go one day? Right? Okay. Some of you just haven't been to the gym. You've not decided to go one day. That's totally fine too. But if you go one day after not going for a while, it kind of hurts, doesn't it? Your muscles are sore. You've not exercised some muscles. Apparently there's this muscle that you didn't even know you had that hurts and you don't know how you exercised it, but you did and it still hurts. And it's kind of sore that first day, but then the second day it's really sore. The third day it's on fire, but you know that like there's some good that's going to come from this. Right? You, you know and you realize that to some degree, you've not been exercising, so you go to the gym, you exercise, you're building muscle, it's stretching them out. Like this, this is a good thing, and so you go back to the gym. And you stretch it out, it doesn't hurt as bad, and you keep going, and, and in a couple weeks, they don't really hurt as bad, or at all. And then you start building muscle and you keep going, you keep going, and then you never have to feel that again because you keep going until the next time you slack off and then a New Year's rolls around and you have another New Year's resolution, you go back to the gym and start the process all over again. And the pain that comes with that is tolerable because you know where it came from and you know that it's ultimately doing good things. Back at the end of September, early part of October, I came home from work and I was playing with my kids in the living room floor. And then I couldn't get up. I don't know what I did, but something in my back went, no, not today. And, and it, it was physically so painful. I could not get off the ground. Hannah was awesome. And she took the kids in the dining room. They had dinner together and she brought me a plate that I ate laying on the ground in the living room. Because laying down, it didn't hurt too bad. By the time she finished putting the kids to bed, a little after about 8 o'clock or so, I managed to get up on my hands and knees and was able to very slowly crawl over to the couch. And I kind of slid onto the couch where I stayed the night because that was about all I could manage to do. And over the course of the next few months, actually, ever since then, um, there has been still some lingering pain that's gone on and off from hurting. And, uh, I gave, I went to some, the chiropractor, I went to a couple doctors and nothing was silly, really seeming to work. Um, we took a vacation in January, had a couple other things, just a, a busy month. So I said, let me, let me just give my body a rest and let's just break from it all and see if my body can just, just heal. Um, and that didn't happen. So I went back to the primary PCP and, um, she ordered an x-ray and physical therapy and all these kinds of things. And, And I was supposed to start physical therapy tomorrow. But last weekend, again, I don't know what I did, but it flared up. And I can tell you that if if today I was feeling the way I did on Monday and Tuesday of this last week, I would not be here. I would have called in sick today because it was so, so incredibly painful. Um, they were wonderful at physical therapy and bumped me up and were, got me in last week. And I, I've been able to stretch it out and, and it's, I've gotten enough relief that as long as I stay standing and moving a little bit, it's okay. But if I lay down or sit, it's incredibly painful. I finally got three hours of sleep at a time last night as opposed to two. So we're making progress. But the frustrating part about it is I don't know what I did, right? I don't know where this came from. I don't exactly know where the pain is originating from. 
And if God could somehow let me know that this is going to work for good and I'm going to be stronger on the other side of it, just like the pain from going back to the gym, then I could be okay with that. But I'm not sure that's the case with this kind of pain. It's just pain. And I think so many times this is exactly how we feel in our spiritual life. When it comes to scripture and speaking about suffering and tests and trials in, in scripture, we try to differentiate and we have all kinds of different words and, and ideas of what these different words mean, whether, whether testing and trials, whether some are from God, because he's trying to do something in us, he's trying to build us and to grow us in the faith. And so that's the good kind of trials and tests that, that God sends our way. The bad ones are from Satan, right? He attacks us trying to, to break the relationship between us and God. And then sometimes I'm just a knuckleheaded idiot and do things on my own that end up in a lot of pain and suffering and heartache and heartbreak. And that's just, that's just my own doing. Or sometimes, sometimes one of you will make a dumb decision and it impacts me and I didn't ask for it and I don't deserve it. But sometimes our actions and, and what we do impacts other people. And so we're left trying to figure out the, the, why am I suffering? Why is there so much hurt? Why is there so much pain? Where is this coming from? What's the end goal of this? And we ask so many questions. Most of the time only to be left empty handed with no answer or at least no answer that, makes us feel any better and today we're diving into the book of philippians and and paul writes this letter to the church in philippi and he's writing this letter while he's in prison while he's suffering for the gospel he was arrested because he was preaching christ and him crucified and his resurrection and the church in philippi has got word of this and they're they're concerned for paul they know he didn't do anything wrong and so Paul gets word of their concern and he writes this letter to them. It's very clear that from this letter that, that the church in Philippi is near and dear to Paul's heart. And he addresses this idea of pain and suffering and hurt. But before we actually get to Philippians, I want to back up just a little bit and I'll look at James chapter one. Because James chapter one actually gives us this indication that there's actually a benefit to suffering. There's a benefit to trials and temptations. And as we look through scripture as a whole, I just want to lay that foundation in general. Because what scripture does is not really differentiate between the different kinds of testing and suffering and persecution and trials and tests. But scripture talks just about the benefit of it. James chapter 1 verses 2 to 4 says, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. James does not differentiate between the trials that come from God, the testing that comes from Satan, or vice versa, and try to differentiate using these different words but various trials, whether they are from God, whether they're by nature, because we have natural disasters that exist in our world or from someone else or my own decisions, or if they are attacked from Satan, it does not matter because what they do is that they grow our faith. They, they grow our faith. They produces endurance. It, it can, helps us to push on to be mature and complete, lacking nothing. There is a, a benefit to suffering and pain and hurt. 
in this world. In fact, the apostles were told to expect this. Jesus told his disciples that if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. They went into it with the expectation that if we are disciples of Jesus, if we are living our life in accordance to how he told us to, there will be hurt, there will be pain, and not just because there is that in the world, but because of your faith, because of your relationship with me, that if you're living out faith in the right way, then you will be attacked because of your faith. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12, says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. You know they're coming. Expect it. Romans chapter 8, verse 17, And since we are his children, we are heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share his suffering. We must also share in his suffering. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Will be persecuted. Now I just want to clarify something by, by what we're actually talking about here. This is the persecution. This is the suffering. These are tests and trials that come from our faith. That come from our faith, from living out our faith. Persecution is not going to the store and someone saying happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. It's not. Right? There are, there are various levels of persecution. It doesn't always mean actually having stones thrown at you and, and being killed for your faith, right? That happens in other parts of the world. That's a very real thing. We have persecution here because of our faith at various levels. That is not persecution. When we live out our faith, when we hold to character, when we hold to integrity and are made fun of it, when relationships end because we're not willing to compromise because of our faith, when, when, when things happen because of our faith in Christ Jesus, it can lead and will lead to suffering and hurt and pain. And much of scripture, especially Paul in Philippians, does not expect any different. He does not address the reasons and the why behind it. But he shows us how it can be used for good. Philippians chapter 1, Paul goes through his normal introduction of who he is and who he's talking to and giving thanks for the church in Philippi as he typically does in every letter that he writes. And in verse 12, he says this, it says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Has really served to advance the gospel. The suffering presents an opportunity for the gospel to advance. Think about Paul's circumstances for a minute. He's in jail. He's in prison. And this means he has a captive audience. He has other people who are in jail and prison with him. And they're not going anywhere. He has guards that have to be there. They can't go anywhere. And so what's he do? He takes this opportunity to present the gospel, to share with them, hey, do you, you know Jesus? Do you know what Jesus has done for you? Right? This is, this is an amazing opportunity that Paul takes by the horns and he advances the gospel. Especially over the last couple of weeks, weeks as my uh, pain has increased a little bit. I've been to a couple extra doctors and other things trying to get to the bottom of it. And many times there's just kind of a lull in conversation as we're waiting for a test or waiting for something to happen. And twice in the last week and a half or so, someone has asked, so, uh, so what do you do? And it's always fun as a pastor to be asked that question. 
You never know how people are going to respond. A lot of times if they've used language beforehand, you ask, you tell them you're a pastor and their language cleans up quite quickly. (laughs) And so I told them I'm a pastor. But it opens a door for who knows where the conversation to go. I'll usually then follow by, do you go to church somewhere? I'm not trying to get people to come to to our church necessarily, but it opens a door to talk about faith. It opens a door to talk about God. It opens a door to start a conversation. And I would have never had that this week if it wasn't for this pain. And I'll be going back to those doctors. I'll be seeing a couple of them again. and, And who knows where conversation will go by there. But many times suffering has a way of of opening doors and possibilities that never would have existed otherwise. Paul continues in verse 14 to to list another benefit that it's had. It says, and because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. His imprisonment, how he has handled that, has actually empowered other believers. It's it's encouraged them to continue to speak with, with boldness. Right? This is a, this is a human nature thing. We love hearing about how other people are hurting the way we are and have gotten better and have overcome it, how they've been in our shoes and it's turned out okay. We want to know what they did. We want to know which doctors did they see? What was their issue? What, what helped them? Maybe that can help me, right? We love hearing those kinds of stories. There's a young man who's a part of our church family who's been battling some cancer rang the bell this past week. I think he's cancer free in the last treatment and we were celebrating and, and cheering for that. But I know part of the journey for him is the doctors brought in people who are now adults who were in his shoes, who had the same cancer, who had the same surgery and they encouraged him. And they said this, we've been there. We've done that. It's going to be okay. I enjoy listening to the, the Ramsey show about getting out of debt, managing money, that kind of thing. And they have a segment called, called the debt-free scream where they have people who call in or come in and, and talk about how much money that they paid off over how long they paid it off. And, and then they just yell, I'm debt-free. And somewhere in there, they usually ask the question, what kept you going? Huge amount of money over so many, many, many months or years sometimes. And they'll mention a couple of things, but almost always they say, listening to other debt-free screams, listening to people who had debt, took four, five, six years to pay it off and did it. Knowing that someone is in our shoes, knowing that they accomplished what we are trying to accomplish, that they persevered, that they were able to do it is extremely powerful. And Paul in his circumstance was able to be that for other believers in the area. But at the heart and the core of how and why Paul was able to do that, he gets to in the second half of this chapter. Philippians chapter 1, verse 19 to 25 says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire 
is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul's at a crossroads. He acknowledges that his desire, what he wants to do is actually to leave this world, to be with God in glory forever. That's what he wants. That's what he desires. But for the sake of the church in Philippi, for the sake of the brothers and sisters in the churches around and the people in the community that he's a part of, for for the sake of the church here in this world, he knows he has to stay here. To live is Christ. He's not living for his own benefit for his own glory, but to advance the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to people around, to encourage the saints for him to live is Christ. And that is a deep seated motivation that Paul holds on to throughout his ministry. It fuels what he does and how he does it. We, we know that Paul was a tent maker But I bet he prayed over every tent. I bet he had conversations with people. Making tents was just a way of him making a living to provide for himself. But what it allowed him to do was preach the gospel. Pendulet is a magician, very convinced atheist. And after one of his magic shows, he had someone come up to him and give him a copy of the New Testament. And I would love to tell you how that changed his life and now he's a devout follower of Jesus. And that was all it took. But it's not. He's still a very, very strong atheist and does not believe in God. But he made some comments about that gentleman. He made the comment of how he has no respect for Christians who do not proselytize. If we believe in a real heaven and a real hell, and we really believe that in the end of our life, we're going to one of those two places, why would we not share that? He actually makes a statement, how much must you hate someone to not tell them about heaven and hell? How much must you hate someone? All because we think it's socially awkward? He uses the example, he says, if I believe a truck is coming towards you and about to hit you standing in the middle of the road and you don't believe it, there is a point where I don't care whether you believe it or not, I'm going to tackle you and get you out of the way of the truck regardless of how socially awkward it might be because I don't want you to die. And if this atheist can understand the significance of heaven and hell and what we believe and have that kind of idea about it, Why can't we? He said this man who came to give him the Bible was polite, he was kind, he was respectful, and it showed how he cared deeply about this man's soul. At the end of the day, it didn't change his opinion about God or about faith. This man was serious and took his faith seriously. And the reality is that there is a real heaven where we get to spend eternity with God and in his presence. And there is a real hell that scripture describes as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you go to some of the most God forsaken places in this world today, I think you can still find stories of how God is moving and active in those places. What makes hell so awful is that it is a place where God is not. He chooses not to go there. He is not in hell. There is no good. There is no hope. There is no joy. There is no light at the end of the tunnel. 
And people are in danger of actually spending an eternity there. And so rather than sitting in this space of woe is me with whatever that we are suffering and going through in this moment, there is a bigger picture going on. Because for those of us who have given our life to Christ, to live is Christ. And we must take every opportunity we have to share the gospel. Not to yell at people who say happy holidays over Merry Christmas. But to actually preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. People in this world are looking for hope, looking for peace, looking for answers, looking for something more than what they're finding in this world. It's what we desperately, deeply need. And only in Jesus do we find those answers. And that's the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what we preach. That's what we proclaim to an unbelieving world. Uh, back in December or so, we, we started talking about some of our community around us as we were talking about the theme of community last year. And we talked about the community that's gone before us, the, the church fathers, the church that existed hundreds of years before us that started after the ascension of Jesus into heaven. And, and what the church fathers developed was this church calendar to highlight important aspects of faith And that's for hundreds of years how the church told time, not by months of the year as much as the time of the church calendar. So the church calendar starts with the season of Advent as we anxiously await the arrival of Jesus into this world. Then we go to Christmas, which is Jesus coming into this world. First part of January is the season of Epiphany where we we realize that aha moment of who Jesus is, of what he did for us, that, that light bulb moment. And about a week and a half ago, we started the season of Lent. I know we're a little behind on this, but, but the church fathers understood the significance and the power of suffering so much that they had a season in the church calendar for suffering, for giving up, for sacrifice, because they knew of the benefit that it had to faith and the life of a believer It's modeled after the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness after his baptism where he fasted for 40 days. Lent is the 40 days leading up to Holy Week, leading up to to Easter. And so we're in the middle of this Lent season. And the whole idea behind Lent is to sacrifice something to grow in our faith. Most people don't do a 40-day fast during the Lent season. That's quite a commitment. But most people will, who observe the church calendar in the season of Lent, will, will give up something to intentionally enter this space of suffering because it is so important. So most might give up something like chocolate or sweets or dessert. Maybe you'll give up sodas or social media or television. If you're not a coffee drinker, then don't give up coffee. You're missing the point of it. The intention behind Lent is to give up something that you enjoy, that you like for a period of time and to intentionally choose to enter this, this space of, of suffering, of sacrifice and see what God does in and through you to see how your faith grows, to see what difference this, this makes because there is so much power, so much power in this. You know, I think for a moment that God, creator, sustainer of the universe, having all foreknowledge, sitting down, 
as the triune God, God the Father, Son, and Spirit, as they're talking and thinking out about how to create this world and the foundations for creating this world, if there was any other way to do it without suffering, I feel like they would have. But in God's infinite wisdom, to some level, to some degree, God knew how important suffering would be. So much so that he knew that he would come down out of heaven to suffer as a man at the hands of other men. That he would be beaten and flogged and tortured and mocked and eventually nailed to a cross. That Jesus himself, God himself, would suffer because he knew what on the other side of that would be worth it. He knew that on the other side of that would be bridging the gap for us. Restoration of relationship. Being able to be in the presence of God. He knew what was coming on the other side of that church. I have no idea what's going to come from this pain that I've been experiencing the last week and a half. I don't know what you're walking through right now and what pain you might be feeling what test or what trial you're walking through in this moment. I encourage you, even if you're walking through something now, to, to go even deeper and to sacrifice something, to choose something in your life that you are willing to give up for the rest of the season of Lent leading up to Easter that you tell your spouse or your family or your small group about so they can help keep you accountable and you can lean in even further. And I don't know what that is, but here's what I do know that it can serve to advance the gospel and it can serve to strengthen brothers and sisters around you and to encourage the church. I know that God will work for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I know that God's not gonna leave you and I know he's gonna do something powerful in your life and in your faith if you lean in rather than trying to fix the pain and the suffering that you're going through. We're going to pause in this moment to take communion as a church family to remember the pain and the suffering that God went through on the cross for us. We're going to take the bread representing his body that was broken for us and his, the cup representing the uh, blood of Jesus shed for us. And in this moment, I just want you to be open to the spirit of God speaking to your spirit. I just want you to hear from him. I want you to, to release control of whatever you're going through, whatever you're trying to fix in your life right now. Just, just say, God, I'm not going to try to fix it, but I'm going to lean in and let you teach me something in this season. Give me eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to know and to grow as you're trying to lead me. I just want you to listen to what he has to say for you. If you're not in the season, I just want to encourage you to, to listen from God of what he might be asking you to give up for this season of Lent so that you can intentionally lean in just a bit further. He wants to take you deeper. Question is, will you let him? So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you just to think about it and to hear from the spirit in this time. If you'd like prayer, I'm going to be down here. There'll be other people from the prayer team at the, the prayer wall in the back. And when you're ready, go ahead and take communion on your own. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful for your love, for your grace, for your sacrifice on the cross. God, you leaned in. And the benefit, the, the other side of that has meant life for us and billions of other people. And we are so grateful that you leaned in 
that you suffered, that you died, that you defeated death for us, that you forgave us, forgave us of our sins, that you cleansed us from all unrighteousness, and you made a path back to you so that we can worship at your throne. God, I pray that we can do something in this season of Lent to lean in, to lean in and allow you to grow us in our faith, to do something in us that we can't do on our own. God, we look forward to seeing what that's going to be. We love you. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.